Thank you so much. And it now is my pleasure to introduce Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron, who has a beautiful message for us today. Thank you, Elizabeth. Welcome. Anna and I are going to do it again. Is that me? I guess that was. All right. So what I invite you to do right now is just become fully present in this moment. And so if you put your feet on the floor... You uncross your legs and your arms. Because what happens when we cross our arms and we cross our legs, we keep all of ourselves to ourselves. And that's not the way the infinite designed us. We are the temple, each and every one of us. And so when we understand that, we are that individualized expression. And so there's enough. And then we become, we become the threshold. And so it's, it's easy to get into those comfortable positions. But for this moment, what I invite you to do is, is sh share with me. So as we breathe in in this moment, breathe out. Remind ourselves of who we are, whose we are. When, when the experience I had in with, with John of God was, the, 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 it was so clear was that it was truly the group that held the vibration of unconditional love and so I'm so mindful that it is not one individual it is the collective and when we come together in that collective idea of giving and receiving at that level of unconditional love holding it for ourselves and one another it becomes such a contagion of good that what wants to happen at the highest level possible for each and every one of us has that opportunity and so this is why I invite you to be present with your heart and with yourself and with your true essence in this moment Put down any worries, any concerns. Forgive yourself of anything that you've fallen short with. Forgive others in this moment. Put it down. We can pick it up later if it's appropriate. And to be in this pristine moment together, the eternal moment. And so as we sing our song today, let us sing it from that awareness and that consciousness. So I invite those that are more comfortable standing and singing to do so. And if you're more comfortable and drawn to staying seated, please follow through with that as well. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear or spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very So let us know together in this moment, let my words be your words, if they fit, and if not, let them wash over you. 
But what I know is I open myself to this awareness, this power, this unseen force for good. As I activate this and impress upon it through the spoken word, for that which I say, I become. So my declaration today is that life and that power, this, this army of light that we are immersed in, that I am immersed in and I am so fully aware of in this moment, continues to expand and grow its influence for each and every one of us. And that which we are seeking today, we find whether in our intuition, in our thoughts, in the conversations we have with one another, or the conversations beyond this environment, but we are laying the foundation of the sphere of availability. I make myself available to guidance. I make myself available to forgiveness, to gratitude, to appreciation, to standing with you and saying thank you so much for wonderful health, the vibrancy and the life force that allows you and I to come together in this incubator of love, allowing us to celebrate the, the, the beautiful work of Dr. Ernest Holmes and all the great avatars and teachers and mentors that shaped his consciousness, the Christ consciousness, the Buddha nature. All of that is available in and through and as each and every one of us. And so I know that we evolve. My evolution is drop by drop, moment by moment, thought by thought, breath by breath. So I celebrate it for myself and I, my, my devotion is to that commitment of the mindfulness that that requires and I thank you for your support, and I support you in that activity as well. We are here for the transformation of consciousness, and it begins with ourselves. And so I know my declaration, what I speak unto this infinite law, this infinite presence, in gratitude and appreciation is thank you, infinite presence, for assisting me in the evolution of my own consciousness so that my heart continues to expand. And I realize that at the deep, deepest level of my being, there's nothing to fix and there is nothing to fear. Despite what the world will tell me, I do not fall into that trap. I hold the high watch of consciousness here and now for myself and for others and for the planet. and know that something powerful and wonderful is having its way by means of you and I. And so this is my vow. This is my declaration. And as it says in scripture, where two or more are in agreement, it is done. So I thank you for your agreement. And I am in agreement with that for you as well. And in that agreement, I invite you to say with me. And so it is. Amen. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to get everything said in the next 15 minutes. So if you have to leave a little early, uh, because of the extra music we're doing today, I understand. I won't take it personally. Although I do have somebody writing names down for people that leave early <laughs> at the back. But I will do my best. So here we are. It's a wonderful day. We had a wonderful divine dining last night. The kickoff was wonderful. We had a wonderful group of people. Wonderful music with Martin Kerr. Wonderful, wonderful community. Here's um, Suze Hodge taking off for Parts Unknown. She's moving to Costa Rica. I told her that we'll be down in a few months. When it gets cold here, we can all move to Costa Rica with her. So today is, is entitled, this whole month is saying yes. And saying yes to possibility is today. And I wanted to share a little bit of what I shared last week because it's sort of the second half of that discussion. So I'll touch on those ideas briefly. And if you'd like to know more, it's in our, our uh, uh, CD from last week. So we were talking last, uh, last week about the Vedanta, the Veda and the Vedanta. And the Veda it comes from the Hindu tradition. And the Veda is the, be the search for truth. And Vedanta is the finality of truth. 
And so what that ancient tradition has, has informed and informed Dr. Holmes, he was very much influenced by the Hindu and the Vedantic traditions. Um, towards the end of his life, the one book that he had on his nightstand was um, The Life Divine by Sri Aurobindo. So Aurobindo really influenced Dr. Holmes in the mystical part of his, his uh, teaching and what he articulated. And what happened with that particular culture, as I mentioned last week, was about a, a thousand years before, the, before B.C. or the Common Era, is what it's known as, sometimes it's before Christ it's called, but a about a thousand years the, the Indian culture was turning within. So of all the countries in the world, all the regions, and, and that region was about 15 times larger than Egypt. We, we hear a lot about ancient Egypt and all of the things happened there, but about 15 times larger. And so all the great conquerors, uh, including Alexander the Great, when they got an army together, everybody said, let's go to India. Because India had all the great stuff. They had spices and they had food and they had all kinds of things that were going on. So anytime anybody got any uh, critical mass together to go conquer, they'd say, we've got to get to India because they, they wanted part of that because the quality of life was so good there. In fact, it was so good at that point in time, there was an opportunity, there was space and time to turn within. And so that development of the inward knowing, the I am and all the things that we have filtered into our culture. And so the Vedanta has, they, have five, they talk about five reasons for suffering and I'll touch on them. I talked about them last week extensively. Number one, the first reason is not knowing our true nature, that we are one, that, we're, that the reason that we are not in love, or when we're not in love with one another, is we feel isolated. And so we see this happen all the time. This is why wars break out. We're not in love with one another. People do things. They don't deserve our love, and so we don't love them. But also, love means willing the happiness of the beloved. I like that idea. So the willing the happiness of the infinite. See, the Buddha nature, the Christ consciousness, can you imagine being... Uh, living in bliss, being in, in nirvana all the time, and then looking around your neighborhood and seeing all the unhappy faces? Wouldn't that be frustrating? It's like, what's the problem? Come on. Hey, hey, hey. And so it's kind of like when you're raising kids, you know how kids get crabby and they do things? And, and so what we do with kids is we'll say things like, hey, hey, look, Mickey Mouse is on TV, or it's Barney. Look over here. Look at the bright, shiny colors. And we distract them. Do we not? to cheer them up. So isn't it interesting that this infinite intelligence finds ways to distract us? So when Thomas gets upset, he says, Thomas, don't be upset over there. Look, there's not enough money to pay the mortgage this month. Look over here for a while. And you have that distraction. But it's interesting how life works and how boring it would be and how frustrating it would be for us to be in that bliss state all the time. But that's our true nature. So number one is not knowing our true nature which means we don't love one another, we feel isolated. Number two is clinging to the insubstantial. So we cling to things because we find them important and we need to, to have things that we find important to pour our energy into. But much of what mankind clings to is insubstantial. It's not sustainable, it doesn't align with the, the essence and, and the reality of, of life. Number three is the aversion to fear. We don't want to be fearful, we'll do anything we can to escape fear. And Dr. Holmes used to say we must look at a thing long enough until it no longer has power over us. Number four is the identification with the false self, the ego. We think that's who we are. And number five is the fear of death. So I'm buzzing through them, but I talked about them quite a bit last week. All of them, all five, line up beautifully with not knowing our true nature. If we know our true nature, which is divine, then the other parts, they fall away. 
And in the Vedantas, they came up with four yogas. Karma yoga, which is a realization. It's, at the, it's the work. So our work, our commitment is that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at everyone and see divinity. God, God, goddess, God, goddess, 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 God. And so what I look at is I see Lisa goddess and Laura goddess and Carol goddess and Davis God. But what it is, it's, it, and that's, that becomes my work, my commitment. And so that is done through karma yoga. Then, I've got, then you've got bhakti yoga, which is love, which is the easiest path, but it's also got a lot of traps in it. But that is to lose ourselves in the, the beloved, and the roomy work is all about love. Raja yoga is through meditation, and yana lo- yoga, which is a, a, a real trap for our tradition. The yana yoga is divinity through knowledge, because we do a lot of studying. But the trap in that is that we try to transcend, we try to transcend the intellect with the intellect. So the tool we're using becomes the limitation for the transcendence. So I set that up last week. What the Vedanta also says is that life is a projection of reality depending on which stage of consciousness you are in. Life is a projection of reality depending on which stage of consciousness that you and I are in. And then I've, I've done a lot of work around the four stages of con- the four kingdoms of consciousness, which is the work of Marcia Sutton. But the Vedantists talk about six states of consciousness, which filter into, which also correlate to the four kingdoms. The six states of consciousness, number one is deep sleep. Our spirit is in surveillance. In other words, we don't even know we're spiritual. There was a shooting this week in Santa Monica, and we have a variety of shootings that go on now on the planet that's typically young men. And so when you see that happen, what I know about that consciousness is that consciousness is in deep sleep. Not even aware it's spiritual, not even aware of the oneness, not even aware of the connection. And, and part of that is that what's happened with, I believe, with, with the, the planet is this promise that we've been given is not being fulfilled. That, that this idea of, of our fulfillment will be through secular materialism. And that is what especially has happened on the planet, is that, that the more stuff we can have, the more iPhones, uh, computers, big screen TVs, cars and homes that we can have, will be our fulfillment. And it's not to be critical of that. It's to enjoy all that. But to understand that itself is not fulfillment. That is just stuff. And so there's a void, but for, for a long time, because what's, especially what's happened in the West, we didn't turn within. What we had were churches and hierarchy that said, we'll do the spiritual work for you, you just behave, you just support, we'll be connected to God, I will do the work for you, and you just go out and work and make a good living and make sure you give a lot of money to the church because God always needs more money, as George Carlin would say, and, and we'll take care of it. But this is what's happened in the West. And so work and work and, and, and achieve things and invest. And, and if you look at the collapse of the money markets, I think it's a direct symptom of, of, a, of, of a skew in the trajectory. And not that there's anything wrong with money, there's nothing wrong with having, there's nothing wrong with creativity, having all the lovely stuff, but it is not fulfillment. It is just, it is just stuff we use on our way to fulfillment. And so when we look at this, my answer when I look at the world and I see the anger and the frustration, especially of young men, it's that promise has not been met. And so people look at it and say, I'm not going down that path. In fact, I'm so angry and resentful, I want to hurt people. Their spirits are asleep. And I think it's important to have that conversation because it's easy to fall into that trap of where there's fear. There's something to fear. 
So deep sleep, spirited surveillance is, a, surveillance is the first state of those six states, of, as the Vedanta says. Second one is dreams. We, we go into a dream state, state. So when we're sleeping, we have dreams. And many times when we're in dreams, we don't even know we're dreaming until we wake up. So that's the second state. And so sometimes we'll dream and we'll know we're dreaming, and that's a lucid dream. It's a whole different thing, and people have had those experiences. Don Miguel talks about the dream work. That's lucid dreaming, but that's a whole different uh, topic. But dream state, and we wake up and go, oh, I was dreaming. The third state of, of awareness of consciousness, which is life is a projection of reality depending on which stage of consciousness you're in. When we know this, then we can ask ourselves, what state of consciousness am I in? Number three is the waking state of consciousness, which is equally insubstantial as it is in the, the sleeping state of dreaming. It's, an, it's still a dream. I have a dream about reality, and I'm in this waking state of consciousness. And so, based on my experience and what I know, I bring that narrative to you. We had people, someone shared with me last week that they brought a friend to the center and they didn't see, the, we have all these people hanging on the walls, but there's no crucifix with Jesus hanging on the crucifix. And so their narrative, she told me, was that because we didn't have that, we were a cult. And so I thanked her and I said, I get it, but, but that's that person's dream. And I, I'm, I'm wise enough now in my own evolution to realize it's not my job to try and wrestle that belief away from somebody. But that's their perception. So to walk in here and not see Jesus on the wall with, on, the, on the cross would suggest that we're not Christian. And, and so that narrative um, I don't identify with, but I understand that it's somebody's dream. It's their waking dream. And so the, the, the activity that went on in Santa Monica or the things that had at Sandy Hook School, I don't stand for that. It doesn't represent me. I mean, all the, the outbreakings of violence that we see on the planet from this sense of fear and lack because obviously if you know who you are and, and you're grounded in that and it's real for you, it's very hard because you're in love. You're in love with yourself and you're in love with one another because you have self-respect and self-love. And so we all have these narratives, but when we're, when we're asleep in the waking dream, we don't know that there's another possibility. You know, I was told this is what spiritual community looks like. I walk in here, it doesn't look like what spiritual community is supposed to look like. In other words, so it's bad and wrong, and I got to get out of here. And, and all you can say is, well, thanks for stopping by. We're one way. We're not the only way. And at least you know now, you can check this place off your list. You know, I mean, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. So we, everybody's, and I've gone to places, I check it off my list. But I don't need to burn it down on my way out. There's people there that find value in it. And thank God there are people that, that find value in stuff that, that, for me, it's just, it doesn't feed my soul, doesn't lift me up. Because what I'm interested in, and I believe you're interested in it, is the experience of the infinite. See, we're here, we're not here, we're, we, no longer do we have the luxury of not turning within. And it's not because, and it's not about celebrating the Buddha, and it's not celebrating Jesus of Nazareth. And I, I you know, and I honor his spirit and I honor his consciousness. It's about you and I giving birth to it in our own experience. But when we're, when we're asleep in the awaking dream, and we find ourselves victimized, we can't access it. 
And so, it, so the, I, I love this because the Vedanta is the ancient wisdom. They knew this centuries ago. They did the work. They kept turning within and turning within. And the, the powers of be said, you guys keep turning within. This is beautiful. You know, in the West, what happened, if you look at the story of Socrates, Socrates turned within. He had all these wonderful insights. And he was teaching, and he was teaching from this awareness and talking about the oneness and compassion and love and depth of being. And what they did is then they, they said, well, Socrates, you're not lining up and you're not supporting the status quo, so we want you to drink a, a, hem, a hemlock milkshake. And he said, okay. And there's quite a bit of, of story about how all his friends came to mourn his passing before he even left. They had his memorial before he, he drank the hemlock. And he was sitting there comforting everybody. He said, don't worry about it. I'll be okay. He knew his soul was eternal. Same thing happened to Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, turn within. It is a, the Father and I are one. The Father, these things I have done, you shall do an even greater. And the powers that be said, stop that. We need people to go through the rabbi. We need people to go through the government. Stop saying that stuff. There's an example of what happens and it's still going on. And so you have young men, especially, that are perpetrating a lot of violence and terrorism on the planet that don't know where to look because all their lives they've been telling, you gotta go through the powers that be. And when the powers that be don't hold water anymore, where do you go? I certainly can't be within me because I'm broken. I mean, this is the mindset. This is the dream they're alive in. The fourth step, you start to glimpse your soul. You start to glimpse your soul. You start to wake up and realize, oh my gosh. I, and I believe that's the first step when you come into a community like this. Your soul starts to wake up. And you realize you have choice and you realize you're asleep in the dream. And so when you sit with a practitioner, when you sit with someone that is a bit farther along the, the evolutionary plane of, of awakening, they can sit there and listen to you and listen to you and let you pour it out and then say, okay, now borrow my consciousness so we can lift one another up into a, a new, op, new possibility. And sometimes it's just clarity. A lot of times I do prayer work with people for clarity because people say, I don't know. I say, where do you want to, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And they'll say, I don't know. I said, well, let's keep, that, let's keep that question alive. Let's pray for clarity. And we've, all, we've all been lost, confused, and dazed at times, haven't we? The fifth is cosmic consciousness, which is also called co-creation. So when I talk about the work with Marcia Sutton that I've been doing over the last several uh, months, almost a year and a half, two years now, it's co-creation. And to enter into the kingdom of the third kingdom of consciousnesses and that Marcia calls in the four kingdoms, which are different than the six states, but they correlate, co-creation. And the entryway to, to that is forgiveness and gratitude. So all of the strategies that we've used in the second kingdom, which is manifestation, have to be sort of put into the toolbox. They don't go away forever. We still need to know how to manifest. But all of a sudden, it's to step into this state of grace, which is surrender, it's forgiveness, and it's gratitude. But it seems so foreign to us because we have fought so hard when we finally found a teaching like this that allows us to be empowered, to take control of our thoughts and our lives and say, man, I'm no longer a victim. I don't have to blame anymore. I can decide where I want to go and I can continue to reach for the highest thought possible and go in that direction. 
And so it's so counterintuitive because everything I got good at, manifestation, I, you know, I never, have, I never go anywhere. People will tell me where I don't find a parking spot. And I'm, I'm assuming they mean right by the door because everywhere I go, I find a parking spot too, but sometimes it's a mile and a half away. <laughs> but I mean, those are, the, those are the stories we hear in Kingdom too, which is manifestation, and we've got to be good at that. You know, we've got to be able to put clothes on and be able to get to where we want to go and to travel the world and to, to, to share our gifts and all that stuff. It's very, very important to get really good at that. So we stand in that faith. And then all of a sudden, there's the shift that goes on and the deepening, and I believe that's what's happening with our movement. That's what we're called to do on the planet right now. Because there's a wave of anger that is arising on this planet. There's a frustration floating out there because the mythology that those people have bought into doesn't work for them. And this is why we see the flare-ups. And what is very important for us, I believe, when we see it happen, is to turn within. And if we understand the states of consciousness it's coming from, then it gives us a roadmap to understand it. That person is asleep. I certainly don't condone it. I take a stand against it. I don't support it in any way, shape, or form. But I also understand that that person has a divinity within, that is, within them that is absolutely asleep. And they've fallen asleep in the dream. And so what I have a choice to do is I can get angry and I can point fingers and I can blame them and shame them and I can shut my doors and I can stop traveling the world and I can start, stop being out in the world. I mean, I could take it to the point where, uh, where I, I could be paranoid about coming and sharing these ideas with you because I know it might offend somebody and then I may be in harm's way. I mean, you could take it out as far as you want to go. I can't hang out with you guys anymore. I believe in oneness, but I'm so scared I have to stay home and protect myself. But you see, you see the, the, how that tracks? Or I can say, I'm going to get in my prayer chair and I'm going to do my forgiveness work because I stand with the family of light and I stand for the evolution of consciousness on this planet. And it happens drop by drop, bit by bit, moment by moment, day by day. That's been my journey. The sixth consciousness, sixth state of consciousness from the Vedantas is the ever-present witnessing awareness. The ever-present witnessing awareness. So we can look at all of it with discernment. And then we can decide how we will play the game, how we will interact, what, what seeds we will water. Science and spirituality. We live in a really powerful time. Science and spirituality are coming together now like never before. At the quantum level, we realize that what's really the potency of, of science is the, the unseen matter that comes together. And the unseen matter is influenced by consciousness. What, what some will say, and the Buddhists say this, they have three terms of relativity. First, they talk about cause and effect. You'll hear about cause and effect all the time. Holmes teaches cause and effect. For every, for every effect, there was a cause. And that's, that, that's part of science. It's a part of given. The other part is the parts in the whole. They'll, take, they'll analyze a part that, that, that puts it together and it becomes the whole. That's another a term of relativity the Buddhists talk about. And I won't flesh that out today because I don't have time. But the third one is that the, what the Buddhists know and what our, Dr. Holmes talked about is the word is co-creative with form. The word is co-creative with form. But what will happen, what came out of this is that some people will say that matter causes our experience. That physical form causes our experience. So the reason for this happening was the, a sequence of events that were at the level of cause that created this experience. Others will say Consciousness projects as the material universe. So everything starts with consciousness. And we we're a consciousness community. And the Buddhists will say you're both wrong. Both those theories are wrong. 
And I think this is more of what Dr. Holmes was talking about. The Buddhists say there is a tangled hierarchy and we are constantly co-creating one another out of the interaction. We are interwoven. Your consciousness and my consciousness come together. I may show up with an idea. I may have an affirmative prayer. How many affirmative prayers have you done that have shown up in your life in a pristine way? You said the prayer and bam, it was there. If you have, let me know. We'll write a book together. But what it is, is setting the, it's, it's important we set the intention. It's, it's important we get clear. But there's, there is more than just us in this. You are in this. I'm in this. So when I talked about our opening prayer coming together in unconditional love, when we create that incubator of unconditional love, it's powerful. And then you experience it. The reason I want to take people back to Abhijania is it's this environment of that. And we have that here as well. But once you taste it, once you have the experience, it never goes away. And to build that and grow that, Dr. Holmes said, I foresee a day when people will come in our door and they'll receive the healing they're looking for just by showing up. Sounds pretty mystical to me. No words have to be said. You walk into an incubator of unconditional love. There's no figuring it out. There's no planning or manipulating. And so the prayerfulness, then our prayer work becomes a way of life. I mean, that's what spiritual community is about. Your consciousness, you are the temple. Every, every, every thought. See, when you, when you get into blaming and shaming, which is so good, you know, something happens, we can blame and we can put it into a category. That person is insane. Those are bad people. Shakespeare said this, Hamlet's, Hamlet's mother, Gertrude, is famous for her quote, the lady doth protest too much. The lady doth protest too much. When you find people in the world that are full of judgment and criticism and they're pointing the finger, it's called the Gertrude Law. It states that if a person is overly passionate about condemning a certain lifestyle choice or another person, they most likely engage in that lifestyle secretly. Doesn't mean they have to act upon it, but it's alive in them. In other words, they, we are mirroring for them, when they're pointing the finger at you, you are mirroring for them the unhealed consciousness within themselves. That's why they see it so clearly. And it's a wonderful popular activity. It just doesn't have much earthly good. It's just a boondoggle, the busy mind. There's a wonderful um, story I want to share with you. I'm doing better this time, so I'm talking faster, and I'm editing on the run here. There's a wonderful story, that, and I think you'll remember this story. It's, this is from Henry Nguyen. It's called The Way of the Heart, The Spirituality of the Desert Fathers and Mothers. It's during the period of the Desert Fathers, and these were uh, monks that went out into the desert and they re re rejected everything. It was, it was just after the, um, the life of Christ. These were people who had overly spiritualized, they were people that were called the Mesalanians. They were people who had an overly spiritualized approach to prayer and considered manual work condemnable for a monk. So they did, would not do any manual work, would not even think of it. They're above that. Some of the monks of this sect went to see Abba Lucius, and, the old, and it was the, an elder, and he was an old man. And, they said, he, and he said, what is your manual work? And they said, we do not touch manual work. But as the apostle says, we pray without ceasing. And the old man asked them if they did not eat. And they replied, they did. And so he said to them, when you are eating, who prays for you? 
Again he asked them if they did not sleep, and they replied they did. And he said to them, When you are asleep, who prays for you then? They could not find an answer to give him. He said to them, Forgive me, but you do not act as you speak. I will show you how. While while doing my manual work, I pray without interruption. And he said this, I sit down with God, soaking my reeds and, and pleading my robes, and I say, God, have mercy on me according to your great goodness and according to the multitude of your mercies. Save me from my errors. And so he asked them, is this not prayer? And they replied, yes, it is. And then he said to them, so when I have spent the whole day working and praying, making 13 pieces of money, more or less, I put two pieces of money outside the door and I pay for my food with the rest of the money. He who takes the two pieces of money prays for me when I'm eating and when I am sleeping. So by the grace of God, I fulfill the precept to pray without ceasing. It's why we have practitioners. It's why we do prayer work. It's why we're here as a spiritual community to hold this together in the high watch of consciousness. And as the Buddha said, we are interwoven. Dr. Holmes said this in The the New Design for Living. I love this book. I've been using it. I'm going to sneeze in a moment, so I'm going to shut this off. Dr. Holmes said this that I think is so important. Because when you read him, it's so easy to just take it and say, Oh, I do an affirmative prayer and my life's going to be perfect. He said... What we are doing in our undertaking is to experiment, to experiment with the greatest principle ever discovered by humanity, which even though it is infinite, is personal to each one of us, which because it knows neither big nor small, hard nor easy, will flow with equal force and power through the individual use we make of it. Available to all, but we all start in a different spot in a different space. And I may have restrictions from my ideal to the, it taking form in my life that you don't have. And so what I get to do is I do my meditation work, I do my prayer work, I ask for prayer support so that whatever it is that's restricting my longing, I can have your agreement and consciousness to help bring that up into my awareness. So it floats up and I can look at it and I can go about my spiritual practice to dismantle it so it no longer has power in my life. This is what the Buddhists are talking about, the interwovingness. It's not just you and your consciousness. We are influenced by one another, and so when we become the contagion for love, unconditional love and acceptance and forgiveness, then the sphere of availability that we all contain expands and expands and grows. And the great good and the newness of the seeking uh, expression on this planet has an opportunity. So when things come up in the world that, are, that hurt us, because we are connected, we are one, and when someone's, someone is violent for no reason, it breaks your heart open. But in the breaking open of the heart, Rumi talked about the polishing of the heart. The polishing of the heart. And so then it's our opportunity, the time is over for one person to lead the way in consciousness. It's not going to happen again. The time now is for all of us to continue to awaken and support one another and love one another. This is the new, this is the new dream. This is the new possibility. This is the journey into the third, the third kingdom of consciousness. Our history is one of great torment and violence on this planet. 
And as I mentioned, it's going to get worse because the fundamentalists will say, look at that, that's wrong, we've all got to get back to, to being told what to do and you need to behave. And our behavior is one of the evolution of consciousness and to be that place of grace, to be that place of love. So that what happens is that eventually we have a billion people that when things like this happen, they go right to their prayer chair. They go right to their spiritual practice. And as this beautiful monk said, we pray while we're working. Not we don't have to have a special place that we go and the sun has to be in a certain spot or the moon has to be, it's got whatever. All those excuses, but to simply do it right where we are. We do our prayer work, we do our meditation. Robert Thurman in one of the discussions I, I watched to get ready for this was talking about great scholar, was talking about a lady, lady had a, um, a question. She said, you know, I, I've been a meditator my whole life. I want to break through this wall of restriction and I want to live in the divine. I want to feel blessed and connected and all that stuff. So what am I doing wrong? And he said, you're trying too hard. He said, how long do you meditate? She says, I go a half hour. It's just driving me crazy. He says, meditate for two minutes. And, and then he said, and then grow into it a little bit. And so go to three minutes. And when it starts to get really good, stop. And start working with yourself. Start teasing yourself so that all of a sudden that opening starts to happen and then you can't wait to go back to your meditation, but you're working way too hard. Isn't it interesting? We take that same energy, that same frantic uh, idea of achievement to our spiritual practice and then it becomes stale and then it becomes more work. So a billion people that are in love with their meditation, a billion people that are in love with their prayer because they know that prayer sets the intention for the day so that everything can spring forth. So that meditation and prayer become non-negotiable. So that prayer becomes a way of life. And the prayer where we understand, as Dr. Holmes said, we experiment with it. See where we are. See where we're stuck. Being stuck isn't a problem. Being stuck is part of being alive. And you start catching yourself, pointing fingers and projecting. You know, oh, wait a minute. That person is showing that part of me that I have work to do. Then everybody becomes a teacher. And everybody is valuable. And then we, can, we learn to love one another. Doesn't mean we have to like each other. We just have to love each other. It's a huge difference. Rumi said this, when I die, I will soar with the angels. And when I die as an angel, I will become what you cannot imagine. Blessings. Blessings.